Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sela Podcast. My name is Charlie, and today we're continuing on our journey through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. So I'm going to read those uh, for you, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So hear these words spoken by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great city of the king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this is evil. Now, before we dive in, just a brief recap on where we've gone thus far. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest and most complete record of a teaching of Jesus. It spans from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. It's where you would go if you want to know everything about what Jesus believes about himself and why he came to earth. Now, an interesting point, I think, is that the Sermon on the Mount, that, that, that title, it is something that we gave to this teaching after the fact. But Matthew, the author, author of this book, gives this teaching a different name. If you look in Matthew chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, he calls this Jesus's teaching on the good news of the kingdom. So if you can imagine, Jesus has been going around from town to town. He's been healing people, casting out demons, sharing meals with sinners and other social outcasts. And all these people are experiencing a reality that is nothing like they have ever experienced before. And though they have no clue what it is, they want more. So they follow Jesus as he travels around, and eventually Jesus gathers this massive crowd of people together, and he says, this is what you've been seeing and experiencing. The kingdom of God has arrived. Heaven has come here. The effects of sin and death are being reversed, and a new community of God's people is being established. This is what it looks like. So that is what the sermon is all about. Jesus is giving language to what these people are seeing and experiencing. And it's all about the kingdom that has come. So Jesus begins his sermon with a series of nine blessings or beatitudes, and they paint a picture of the type of person that the kingdom is built around. And to the surprise of everyone, it is not the wealthy or the healthy. It is not the important or the powerful. It is not the strong or intelligent. Instead, God's kingdom is for the poor, for the weak, the outcast, the sinner. In other words, the hierarchical structures of the world mean nothing in God's kingdom. In fact, they are flipped upside down. Then Jesus says, this kingdom community, it won't exist apart from the world, but will actually have a transformative presence in the world, like a pinch of salt on a meal or like a flicker of light in a dark room. These are illustrations that Jesus uses for this community. 
In other words, the kingdom of God is contagious. It is infectious, right? We, we've learned a lot about these words over the past couple of years. The kingdom of God, it spreads, it's viral, it goes throughout the world. And Jesus says that it spreads through this community of people that he is establishing. But here's the key. And this brings us to where we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. The way that this kingdom spreads is not by these people doing away with the scriptures that the Jewish people had been following for thousands of years. Instead, it would spread when they live out God's heart and intention behind the scriptures. And that heart and intention is love. So the scriptures say, don't murder, but Jesus says, if you are going to be in this kingdom community, you shouldn't even allow anger to fester within your hearts. In fact, by holding on to anger towards someone, you are murdering them in your heart. You are degrading their humanity. You are elevating yourself above them and you are denying them the image of God in which they have been made. And when you do this, you cannot love them, which is the ultimate value of God's kingdom. Next, Jesus tackles lust. And he says, it's not just enough to refrain from adultery. It's not enough just to refrain from sleeping with someone who's not your covenant partner. But in the kingdom, don't even lust after someone in order to fuel sexual desire. By doing so, you are using that person. You are using their body for your own pleasure and they become an object to you, not a fellow human being. And it, and it makes it impossible to truly love them and to truly love others. So hopefully you can see how these examples of things that we do internally are incompatible with the kingdom. The kingdom is about the holistic restoration of the full God-given potential and intention of humanity. The holistic restoration of the full God-given potential and intention of humanity. And things like anger and lust, though they may seem like private internal things, they are antithetical to what Jesus is trying to do in and through us. Now, the answer, as we've learned in the past couple of weeks, it's not behavior modification. Instead, it is perspective transformation. It's not behavior modification. It is perspective transformation. We need to change the way that we see one another and the ways that we see ourselves so that we can love one another fully and unconditionally. So today we come to Jesus's thoughts on swearing oaths. Now, I I would imagine that uh, if you just surveyed your past week, you probably haven't sworn any oaths in the past week. In fact, you probably haven't sworn any oaths in the past year. This is not something that we do frequently in 21st century America, unless you may, maybe you find yourself on a jury or in a courtroom. But so after the last two passages on anger and lust, this passage might feel like a bit of a relief. Okay, you may 
be angry constantly. You may lust all the time, but you can't remember the last time you swore an oath, right? So you're, you're one for three, like great job. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, um, we are not getting off that easy with this passage. At least I'm not. Okay, this one has really been another punch to the gut for me. Because like every other part of this sermon, Jesus is once again uncovering an issue that is deeply rooted in our hearts and must be dealt with if we are going to experience his kingdom. So this passage um, that we've read is, is not about swearing oaths. Okay, that is just one way that this issue expresses itself in Jesus's time. But what Jesus is talking about here is how we present ourselves to one another in ways that are dishonest, how we deceive one another and try to manipulate the way that we are perceived, okay? How we carefully craft our image in a way that covers up our weaknesses and shortcomings and magnifies our perceived strengths, What Jesus is talking about is is what I wrestle with every time I stand up and and teach a a message. Um, When I have to fight this urge to care more about coming across as eloquent or intelligent rather than helping people just to hear what God has to say through his word and making that the primary purpose of what I'm doing. Dallas Willard, um, who we quote often in this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's because he's written, written a fantastic book that, that is centered on the Sermon on the Mount. If you have time to read a 500-page book, I encourage you to pick it up. It's called The Divine Conspiracy. And he says about this passage that Jesus is addressing the fact that we all function as our own personal spin doctors, okay? Like in politics or, or marketing or advertising, we have a product that we are trying to sell, which is ourselves, our image, our word, or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. And we do that, we sell that by manipulating the other person's understanding or perception. It's spin. It's de- dishonest. And, and Jesus is saying that, that this sort of thing that we do, it, it is incompatible with his kingdom. So how do we get from Jesus's words in this passage on swearing oaths to, to that? Well, Jesus says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, Jesus, in the past two passages, he's been quoting an Old Testament law. Uh, he's not doing that here, but he's referencing a common practice Uh, in ancient Jewish culture that was actually the subject of quite a bit of debate at the time, and that is the practice of swearing oaths. I I heard a uh, Hebrew scholar give this example. He said, imagine you are a Jewish farmer in the first century, and, and you have a neighboring farmer who, for whatever reason, just doesn't like you. Okay, he has it out for you. He he doesn't like you as a neighbor. And, and one day his donkey goes missing and he is certain that you stole his donkey. So instead of talking to you or trying to figure it out, he goes to the Jewish elders uh, or the local Jewish elders and he accuses you of stealing his donkey. He swears you did it. 
and he makes an oath before the elders as one would commonly do. And he says, I swear by the name of Yahweh that he stole my donkey. Now what's happening here? Why did the neighbor do that? He could have just said, you know, I I think he might've done it and maybe we should investigate. Instead, he invokes God's name and he swears that you were the one who stole his donkey. Why does he do that? Well, he is taking God's name and somehow by association with God, his own word is taken more seriously. His claim will seem more important and more urgent. The elders have to take me more serious, more seriously now. I swore by God's name that this happened. And so what he is doing is he is manipulating the elders' perception of himself and, and this situation and, and his claim so that he gets what he wants, which is punishment or retribution on you, his neighbor. So the elders investigate, and, and it turns out that uh, the man's brother, right, who, ha- who happens to help around the farm, he came over and he borrowed the donkey, and he just forgot to tell the man, your neighbor. So it, it was all a big misunderstanding, but what's happened now? In, in public, your neighbor has taken the name of God, the name of Yahweh, with all its holiness and goodness and truthfulness, and he has associated it. Uh, he has tied it up with his distorted sense of reality and with his insecurity and with his hatred towards you, his neighbor. He has misused and defiled God's name or what the Hebrew scriptures call taking the Lord's name in vain. So this was a a serious thing. And the Jewish people were given laws to prevent this sort of thing from happening. Uh, In Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, this is the third commandment of the 10 commands. So you've probably heard it. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. Exodus 19 chapter uh, chapter 19 verse 12 says you shall not swear falsely by my name and so defile the name of your God. So this idea about about taking God's name in vain it, it isn't about using God's name as an expletive like we often think of it today. It, I do think there are good reasons not to do that if you are a follower follower of Jesus but using God's name in vain is when, at least in the biblical sense, is when you make a false claim and you invoke God's name so that people will be more likely to accept and believe your claim. And in doing so, you are using God, his holiness, his truthfulness, his goodness, to manipulate and deceive others rather than allowing them to make up their own mind about the situation or about what you have to say. So in Jesus's time, people, they wouldn't swear by God's name anymore. It's too risky. 
Okay, if you end up being wrong or or maybe you messed up just some of the details, it, it's too risky to do. So instead, people would swear by other things associated with God, less less um, holy things, right? There would be and there would be all these debates about what is okay to swear by and what what would be unacceptable to swear by. For example, if you swore by the temple in Jerusalem, it would be okay if you turned out to be wrong. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, then you had to be certain about your claim. And there was all these other things um, that were sort of ranked by their level of seriousness with which you were making the claim, right? If you swear by the altar, uh, you, 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 maybe you could get some details wrong, but if you swear by the sacrifice on the altar, then you had to be sure you were telling the truth. And Jesus enters into this debate and he says, he says to all of this enough, stop it. Don't swear oaths at all, either by heaven for it is God's throne or by earth for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great uh, king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So what he is saying here in these verses is everything you could possibly swear by, it all belongs to God, whether in heaven or on earth, whether in Jerusalem or on your very own body, it all belongs to God and exists for God's purposes. And the issue is far deeper than the object or the person by whom you make your oath. The issue is what you are trying to accomplish by making the oath. You are trying to manipulate and distort the way people see you and receive your word in order to get what you want. And you are using all these things that, that, belong to God in order to do this manipulation. Okay, this cannot stand in God's kingdom. Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that is evil, right? It is counter to God's will and nature. So, you know, I don't know how this plays out in your life. Okay, I'm sure it's not by swearing oaths by the gold in the temple, but I would bet that you have your own way of manipulating the way people perceive you or the way people understand situations. Okay, we all have ways that we try to spin or hide aspects of who we are so that we can, we can sell people on ourselves or what we have to say or what we want to see happen. You know, I have many ways, as I've been reflecting on this passage, many ways that I personally do this um, in conversations. I will often slip in stories or little comments about things that I have done in order to make myself seem more impressive. I will offer up my knowledge on things that I really know nothing about in order to seem smarter. I will mention, you know, that I was spending time with someone or a group of people so that I will seem more likable or more popular. And sometimes, honestly, I will bend the truth or flat out lie in order to influence the way people think about me or a particular situation. And what's crazy about all this is most of these things, they're almost done involuntar involuntarily. Okay, I just catch myself in the midst of it or, or sometimes I don't even realize I did it until later. 
it just comes out. And, you know, so I, I don't know how, what this looks like in your life, but man, social media, uh, it's 99.9% spin and deception. Okay. The very nature of Instagram and Facebook and TikTok or, or whatever it is that, that you're on, it's to filter what people see and how they think about you. The way we talk about other people, right? Or gossip, right? Is often done to elevate ourselves over that person in the eyes of those that we are speaking with. Okay, when we name drop people that we know or places that we've been or things that we've done, it's often to sway people's opinion about us in our own favor or, or to our own benefit. We do all these sorts of things to manipulate uh, people's perception and hide who we truly are. And, and possibly the greatest tragedy of our broken humanity is that we were created to know and to be known by one another fully and intimately. And our deepest longing is to, to fully know and, and, and to fully be known and, and to be fully loved. Yet we perpetually hide from one another. Our insecurities and, and fear of being rejected cause us to interact with one another like politicians, like used car salesmen uh, with spin and deception. And, and Jesus says, there's no place for that in my kingdom. Because in my kingdom, you can be fully known and fully loved. Here you can be authentically and unashamedly who you were made to be, and you will be loved unconditionally. You don't need to hide. You don't need to spin. You don't need to manipulate people's perception of you. Instead, like we were in the garden, the kingdom is a place where we can truly be naked and unashamed, fully seen, fully known, fully loved. That's what we were created for. That's what we long for. And when we engage in these, these things that, that cause, uh, uh, that manipulate and deceive and, and spin reality so that people see us differently, we are robbing ourselves and robbing others of what we were made for. So let me pray for us and let me pray for you. And uh, that will be the end of our time today. So, Father God, I just pray that whoever's listen, listening to this, wherever they are, God, I pray that they would first experience your presence and that they would know that you fully know them. And even though you know uh, every part of them, even the parts that they don't want anyone to know, the things that they are tempted to and do hide from others, you know it and you love them more than anyone else could and would love them. And that's so powerful, God, to know that there is, there is a God, uh, Jesus, who loves us, who knows us fully, and yet he still loves us unconditionally and fully and greater than we could ever imagine. So I pray that we'd feel that. I pray that we'd experience that today. And then I pray that we would go to our community. We'd go to the people that are nearest to us and that we would bear it all and we would be authentically who we are and who you made us to be. We wouldn't hide the things that we are ashamed of or the things that we think would make us unacceptable, um, but that we would be able to experience community that 
uh, sees us and that receives us and that loves us for who we are. And we pray that others around us would be able to experience that when they are in our presence as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.